Good morning, and welcome to episode 580 of Effectively Wild, the daily podcast from Baseball Prospectus, presented by the Play Index at BaseballReference.com. I am Ben Lindbergh of Grantland, joined by Sam Miller of Baseball Prospectus. Hello. Hello. How are you? Pretty good. This is our last show of the week. We're going to end it on a multiple of five, which just doesn't feel the same anymore now that we are no longer a five show per week show for the time being but still it's nice so we will talk today and give people something to listen to on a bad weather wednesday as they head home for thanksgiving we are going to do listener emails is there anything you'd like to talk about before we begin uh no (laughs) all right i guess uh first of all so somebody just tweeted at us a rumor, uh-huh. a, a what is what is deemed to be a non-revelatory rumor by the person who tweeted it at us. Uh, and this tweet, this this rumor is report that Cubs offered Lex Lester a six-year deal of more than 135 million dollars is not accurate, uh, which seems to be very revelatory. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that we're seeing a uh, probably an unnecessary lowering of the bar. I think that we need to. <laughs> What? In fact, we received a tweet from someone else earlier in the day who sent us a link to that original rumor that is since rumored to be inaccurate and suggested that the original rumor itself was non-revelatory, which it was clearly very revelatory. I mean, one of these one of these is inaccurate. It, the initial report can't really have been accurate and also the report about its inaccuracy. But they both revealed something or purported to reveal something specific. The Cubs made an offer to a particular player for a certain number of years for an amount above a a certain number. So this is these are specifics. This is potentially useful information. So yes, I would urge everyone we we are happy that people are are monitoring the internet for us and letting yeah. us know about these things. But yeah. but but before you tweet, think about it. Think about whether it meets the standards that we have established thus far in the podcast. Yeah. We're small hall. I think we're small hall guys. And I think uh-huh. basically, um, well, we're not in, in the real hall, but in the non-revelatory hall, we're small hall guys. So basically, if, if it's not less revelatory than our least relevant re- revelatory uh, rumor, uh-huh. uh, I would just swallow it. I think yeah. that I think that we're trying to we're looking for new 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 frontiers. It's like that guy who went up um, in uh, in the sky like ninety five thousand feet and did that you know the jump the Red Bull jump mm-hmm. you know yep and then uh, a couple years later just a few weeks ago mm-hmm. somebody else went higher and did right. the jump right he didn't he didn't go slightly lower uh-huh. that guy didn't that guy didn't go up and go slightly lower he went higher <laughs> that's we're, right we're trying to go. All the way to the sky where the air is so thin that you can't see or think. That's the air that we're reaching for at this point. The other thing is, please don't um, reply to the author of the rumor <laughs> insultingly and CC us. Uh, we would rather that not happen. Yes, right. Please so- don't insult them in, just in generally. Uh, in general, but sure. if you're going to leave me out of it, Ben, you can you can put Ben in, and and if you want, you can see see Grant Brisby. Uh-huh. I'll give you an example of a rumor that not of an insult, but of a rumor that goes even higher, perhaps than ones that we have talked about thus far. This was an older rumor. This was from mid October, actually, but just as a good example of what we're looking for, this was submitted earlier today by a listener named Patrick, and it was a twins rumor from the Pioneer Press. And the rumor goes like this. I think it's a rumor. It, it says this, if the twins can't re-sign free agent Tory Hunter, plans are to trade, sign a free agent, or go in-house to find his center field replacement. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so this is essentially saying that if the twins can't re-sign Tory Hunter, their plans are to <laughs> obtain to a center fielder. 
Somehow. Continue fielding the prescribed number of baseball players. Exactly. They've that is their to plan. abide by the rules of the game somehow next season. Yeah. So that's that's the sort of non-specificity that we have in mind here. Did you read Chad Finn's thing about covering baseball offseason? Yes. The, the, the one thing in that that just completely blew my mind was that it was only, what, 13 years ago that the A-Rod signing with Texas broke in a newspaper in the morning like <laughs> yeah it was unknown to the world until they put it in a newspaper and delivered it to hundreds of thousands of homes mm-hmm. that was that was the means of delivering it that's incredible it is that used to happen <laughs> yeah not very long ago um okay we only received one one other possible rumor that that might meet the standards this was this was a quote, though, so I don't know. We've discussed quotes in the past, and I'm kind of of the opinion that if a baseball person says something that's non-revelatory, you can still quote it without yourself meeting that, that standard. So I will put it to you. This, this, is a, this is from, let's see, Brian Murphy of KNBR, who tweeted, asked about the SF Giants' interest in free agents, Lester Scherzer's shields. Larry Bear told us, I can confirm we are interested in starting pitching. Mm-hmm. I'm going to, uh, I'm, I'm increasingly uh, finding reasons to defend these, in, as you might have noticed in the last couple of days. Mm-hmm. So I'll defend that one. Um, my read on that is that Brian Murphy had, had had, I think, had had Larry Bear on the show that morning. Uh-huh. And when, when there's a radio host, who, particularly one who has guests, I think it's common to to sort of tweet uh, summaries of or excerpts of or some of the things that the person said. Yes. Uh, Brian Murphy is not in the business of breaking news. I don't think he would consider himself a rumor leader in 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 uh, in in the field. Mm-hmm. And so I don't think that he's he tweeted that thinking uh, that he's the new uh, Chris Cotillo mm-hmm. with a beard. I think he was simply saying this is what we've been doing this morning. So mm-hmm. I'll uh, stand up for Brian Murphy. Yeah, I agree. And and I mean Larry Bear's the one we should be mad at. Right. But if you're gonna put that question to a team executive, I mean they they can't say that they are interested in a certain free agent, right? But the new I mean, they can sort of in a vague sense say that he is a nice player or something, but they're the CBA sort of prohibits them from talking about interest in particular players or offers or terms or anything like that. And I saw an interview with Brian Cashman recently where he was asked about those same players and he said, you know, something about how they need some pitching, but he wouldn't comment on those specific players. So if you're going to pose those questions to a person with a team, you should expect that kind of answer, which is probably why we don't have team executives on this podcast all that often. So uh, we will get to emails now. That's that's why you think? (laughs) Well, yeah, I mean, we're incredibly well connected so that can't be the obstacle so we got a couple emails that are not questions that i want to read they're just just comments just information so this first one comes from someone whose name is redacted it's just sources we can say and he says i recently started work for a hockey team and while looking through the team's shared dropbox to find a folder called or he found a folder called the insert team name way. I opened up the video and it mostly showed clips of players on the team running into people while phrases like intensity and fast and physical flashed on the screen. It sounds like sounds like Zoolander to me. Uh, this video is shown to all players in the organization. My team's way perfectly conforms to how Sam describes most baseball teams' ways, ambiguous in its difference from any other team's style of play, and full of concepts that can only be seen as universally conducive to winning. Are there teams that emphasize a lack of intensity? <laughs> Thought you might enjoy this anecdote. And we did. So we wanted to share it. I don't know if there are teams that emphasize a lack of intensity. Maybe there are teams that emphasize the cerebral aspect of competition more than others, more than the physical. But even in those cases, it's about hustling to get the extra edge. So I it's... bet. Yeah, I bet the uh, Pop Warner football team that uh, Snoop Dogg coached some years back <laughs> was very unintense. Right. And this question or this comment comes from Russell Carlton, who is 
baseball prospectus author has been on this show many times. He says, this is an email that only listeners of Effectively Wild can appreciate. This weekend for my real job, I was in Washington, D.C. for the annual conference of the National Federation of Families for Children's Mental Health, great organization. They had a silent auction of various items with the proceeds to fund the organization. Since it was D.C., they had items from various D.C. and Baltimore sports teams. They had a signed baseball from Ryan Webb. Ryan Webb is apparently the force that holds the universe together, but what that means is that someone will bid for the ball, and the Federation of Families will take the money and maybe save someone's life with it. Hopefully Ryan Webb gets his save sometime soon. Mm. Thank you, Russell. Although, I've got to say that I don't think that the Federation of Families is going to get a whole lot of money for the Ryan Webb signed baseball. I went on eBay and looked for Ryan Webb signed items. We already know that Matt Albers pants game used pants are not a big draw <laughs> but i couldn't find any well i didn't really look for game used ryan web items but i looked for autographs and there are actually quite a few there are more alicia web wwe diva signed items that come up when you search for web autographs but there are some web ryan web autographed cards and postcards there is a ryan web autographed team postcard which you can buy now for 6.95 there is a autographed Tops card, $4. Autographed 2004 Prospects card, Ryan Webb, $8. 2006 Ryan Webb, $3. So you can buy a Ryan Webb for a few dollars. There is one Ryan Webb signed official league baseball autograph, which is on sale for $14.99 or best offer. So that is what the Federation of Families can expect to receive. Hmm. Sadly. Okay. <laughs> so well, we're doing our, our part to make Ryan Webb autographs more valuable. I have a, so I far have the a, market is lagging behind our interest. I generally, yeah, I generally have a hard time with, with, with charity auctions just in general, like emotionally, I always feel a bit, I always feel a bit of sadness about like the, the, not, not in this case, cause Ryan Webb's swag is, is pretty awesome. Mm-hmm. But I, I always just have, I have a very hard time looking at silent auction items and, and thinking about the gap between uh, the intention of the person giving them uh-huh. and the intention of the person who is willing to bed, bet, uh, bid $80 but not a penny more for a $250 <laughs> gift certificate. <laughs> like, so there's just something sad about it as a transaction that mm-hmm. it just bums me out to no end. Well, we commend Ryan Webb for doing his part in signing this baseball. If you put a hundred dollar bill on a charity auction, the silent auction, <laughs> somebody would bet would bid fifteen dollars, somebody would bid sixteen, and another person would come in and bid seventeen, and it would not get over thirty-five. <laughs> oh, that's too bad. All right, we've got a couple factual sort of hot stove nuts and bolts questions that I thought we could dispense with quickly. This is one that I think we talked about years ago perhaps but we can just give a quick refresher Andy asks quick question how come when a player has a no trade clause a lot of times both the Red Sox and Yankees are on those lists and there are there are a few reasons why or how a few ways in which players choose the teams to put on their no trade lists one of them might actually be that they don't want to play for a particular team but a lot of it is that you have leverage in mind and you're trying to imagine the most likely teams that would trade for you because you want to have leverage in that case. Maybe you you don't want to go or you want to extract some other value from it, some kind of extension or, or getting an option picked up, that kind of thing, in exchange for waiving your no-trade clause. And, of course, the Red Sox and the Yankees are always among the most likely teams to be trading for someone. So you put the Red Sox and the Yankees on there just wagering that that they will be the ones who are most likely to trade for you. So that's it. It's not just that people don't want to play for the Red Sox and Yankees, although maybe there are some who do or don't. Uh, yeah. Um, I like Justin Upton's no trade teams. It feels like every year he updates them and I hear <laughs> the new list. And yeah. it is always a hodgepodge of teams that you can tell he doesn't want to go to and uh, teams that he really would love to go to. And uh-huh. he's just trying to make the most of that possibility. Mm-hmm. And another question in that vein comes from Darren. 
in Auburn, Washington, who says, what if a team felt they had better skill at negotiating contracts with team-friendly terms and immediately signed a guy because they felt he was a good value regardless of need? For example, let's say the A's thought Butler was undervalued at 330, but weren't that interested in him given the current construction of their roster. Prior to the season starting, could they realistically be able to extract value for negotiating a good deal and flip him if the free agent market gets more expensive or dried up as we progress through the winter? Or are these contracts so efficient that there wouldn't be anything to gain by doing this? And the reason we don't see teams do that is because you can't do that. You cannot trade a newly signed free agent until the following June 15th unless he gives you permission to do that. And of course, you'd have to give the player something to get him to agree to give you permission. And by the time that you're giving up something to the player to get him to agree to that trade, you have probably given up more than you can gain Uh, any surplus value that is left over after you sign him to this contract. So even if you are amazing at signing free agents to below market deals, it is probably not worth your while once you factor in the cost that you would have to pay to get the player to agree to the trade. So that's that. Uh, Okay, let us talk about this question. Well, we got a, a few questions about... Headley and Sandoval, which we talked about on Monday. Um, I guess a, a couple people just kind of asked us which which contract we like better. Matt Trubud asks, who do you figure got a better contract of these two? It's interesting, isn't it? Weighing and valuing various options correctly might be the things that even many semi, semi-savvy fans do worst. All other considerations aside, would you rather be making $98 million over five years with a club option at the end of it, or $88 million over four years with the chance to make it $110 million in five? And we got a question from another Matt, this Matt in Portland, who asked if you were a major league GM with an average team and an average farm system and you had the ability or requirement to take either Sandoval in his new contract or Hanley in his new contract from the Red Sox, which one would you select? So do you have an opinion? Oh, so those are two different questions, right? Two different one, questions, yeah. but essentially so, asking the same thing. No, they're, I, no, they're not, right? Matt's making a point about how it's difficult to, to compare a four-year contract to a five-year contract Yes, uh, where the average annual value changes but you get more years mm-hmm. and and in that answer i would say that uh as long as you're as long i mean the, as long as the dollars are you know fairly comparable and they basically are like pablo sandoval and hanley ramirez will not know in any significant way which of them has more money over the next four years uh, they will both have more money than they need uh, so um as long as i'm you know rich for life i would take the shorter deal at the higher average annual value uh, and I I don't know if it would pay off in the end. I don't know if it's better just to take you know the money when you can get it and just assume that you're not going to be playing at any point in the future, uh, that far into the future. But I just don't think it would be very fun to get paid to not play baseball well. Like I I think it would just be kind of a drag. I know that it's better than it's a very get, Gilmesh attitude of you. Well, getting paid twenty million dollars to to suck at baseball. Uh, is better than getting paid a million dollars to suck at baseball, I guess. But <laughs> I, I, I mean, I just don't think it would be that fun. I think that like, Vernon in, Wells had the option to opt out of his contract well, so in the last in, couple of years. He did not I, exercise it. <laughs> I think this is an, an instance where, in the moment, you would never turn away from the money if given the option, unless you're Gilmesh. Given option you'll always take the money it's too hard to do it when it's right in front of you we are addicted to to money we are we just are we're addicted to money and you can't walk away from it however addictions are often only uh, you know kind of uh, uh uh powerful in the moment and in you know if you're three or four years like if you're you know like addicted to to alcohol um and somebody's like you can't drink for the next month you would like have a really hard time but if someone's like in Five years, you can't drink for a month. You'd be like, oh, well, okay, if you, you know, that I can handle that probably in five years. And so I think that um, I would take advantage of, of that and, and I, would, I would walk away from the money four years in advance. Uh, and, you know, you're not really walking away from the money. You're getting a higher average annual value. But uh, I just don't think I would have much fun playing out the last years of a contract where everybody hated me. 
Uh, and so I would, you know, kind of rather not do it. So that's, <laughs> from the player's perspective, that's what I would say. Uh-huh. Now, from the team's perspective, all they care about is whether it makes financial sense yes. uh, in the long run. And so from the team's perspective, I don't know. It depends on the player. I would guess that the shorter deal, higher average annual value is probably better for them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's that's right. I'm with you there. All right. And as for this, I, um, I don't think that there's a real reason to think that we know one way or the other. They're both more or less, uh, they seem to be both more or less the same and they both players have, you know, big margins of what, or big, uh, big bars of what they could possibly do in the next five years. So it's, I'm not going to say with any certainty or anything like that, but I would rather have Hanley at that price than Pablo at that price. Okay. What about I, you? I don't really disagree. They seem to be, to be very similar players projected value wise. So I think I more or less agree. It's kind of a wash. I don't find it that hard to ignore 2011 and 2012, which dragged down some of Hanley's projections and which dragged down kind of his recent numbers if you're looking at them in any given time period. Mm-hmm. I don't have a hard time just kind of ignoring them and assuming, well, something was up, you know, something was up with his shoulder a lot of the time. He was in a, a situation where he obviously wasn't happy. He was fighting with his teammates. He was on a losing team. Uh, nobody wanted to be there. And so it's sort of easy for me to to uh, put a little more emphasis on 13 and 14 than I normally would at the expense of 11 and 12. Mm-hmm. Okay. And we got another question inspired by our discussion of those guys. This question is from Michael in Floyd's Knobs, Indiana. Do you know why Floyd's Knobs is named Floyd's Knobs? Do you? I do. I don't. It was named after Colonel Davis Floyd, an Indiana Jeffersonian Republican who was convicted of aiding Aaron Burr in his perhaps conspiracy to secede from the Union and went on to to, to found Floyd's Knobs, which is called Knobs because it is near the Knobstone Escarpment, a rugged geologic region in southern Indiana. So that's why it's named Floyd's Knobs. You read that. You just were reading that. <laughs> no. I got a good education. Um, Michael says, noting that a contract decision... Well, first he speculates that maybe Sandoval seems to be work, worth so much more or that teams are willing to pay so much more than they are for Headley because he is more marketable, perhaps, or maybe that that's a factor. And Michael says, noting that a contract decision on any player is ultimately a combination of the player's ability and the team's profitability, we need a metric that that somehow combines war and a player's worth off the field. If attendance were to rise 5% year over year due to new player acquisitions or improved results, that alone is worth tens of millions annually. Meanwhile, any team handing out new contracts in the midst of negotiating a regional TV or radio deal should be viewed in a vacuum. Perceived overpays become bargains overnight if the acquisitions move the needle even a smidgen on a long-term broadcasting deal. Maybe he meant shouldn't be viewed in a vacuum. Um, So this is theoretically right, but I'm going to guess that it wouldn't move our valuation all that much for most players. There are cases where it would. I wrote a little bit in my essay in the upcoming Baseball Prospectus 2015 annual, which Sam is editing and which you can all go pre-order now if you'd like to, about the value of Derek Jeter, not the wins above replacement value of Derek Jeter, which we've talked about, but the financial off-the-field value of Derek Jeter. But he's a unique case. I wouldn't say that there are many cases where a certain player is going to increase attendance a whole lot more than a comparable player value-wise. I mean, there might be some players who are projected for three and a half wins who are just much more famous and marketable and appealing than others, but I would guess that on the whole, that is not going to move the needle all that much for most players. I think he's right, though, that when we talk about teams that are in the midst of negotiating some big deal or getting a stadium built or something like that, then maybe that does 
change the calculus a little bit. But why why isn't Floyd's knobs uh, possessive? Because his name is Floyd. Uh huh. How did it get pluralized? Or if it's if it is possessive, I don't know if they're saying that it's the knobs near Floyd, or mm. if it's the knobs of Floyd. But either way, yeah, you know, it should it's... either be Floyd knobs or Floyd's. It's been a long time since I covered this in class. Also, the the high school is Floyd High, and it's in Floyd County. Singular, <laughs> singular. Huh. Maybe maybe there was an apostrophe, and they dropped it, because who wants to write an apostrophe every time? I don't know. Michael, uh, in Floyd's knobs, if you know the answer, let us know. Yeah, I think that you're right. The, the cases where it's a, a factor, even a smidgen of a factor... Are uh, are fairly low, and usually those cases where it is even a smidgen of a factor, I would say usually that detail gets brought up more than necessary. Yes. Okay. Uh, all right. This question comes from Brett, who asks, "Who are the two least similar teams in Major League Baseball?" My initial thought was Padres and Yankees. That was mine. <laughs> Payroll, league, geography, history, stadium size, fan base. But Hed- I was Headley <laughs> having this. They've both had Headley though. Yeah. But I was hoping Headley one of you could one of one of you could come up with something more interesting and justify it somehow. So clearly not you. You've come up with Padres and Yankees. Oh man. Yeah. It's so it's just so <laughs> hard not to just go rich team poor team and think yeah. of them more or less like that but mm-hmm. i guess i guess it would take a much more uh complex uh, uh graph or chart if you were gonna yeah uh, because there's a lot of variables that make up a team like what else would you even think of like well, i guess you could think of i mean god i just was gonna try to say something other than money and i was just gonna <laughs> name another proxy word for money so i am really having a hard time getting past money well what about philosophy what about phillies and astros you've uh-huh. got you've got one team who's done the most aggressive rebuilding plan we've seen in recent years just tearing it down completely and starting over and not really hiding that fact or sugarcoating it all that much and then you've got the phillies who have gone way out of their way not to rebuild and have been clinging to the core of their old team and insisting that they could compete with it and refusing to trade anyone. And the Astros are a team that talks about their use of analytics all the time. And the Phillies, if anything, are the opposite. Yeah. The problem though, is that that's just, that's a momentary description of them. That's a a short term. That's like you and me are fairly similar people in a lot of ways. And it'd be like someone saying, well, Sam and Ben are the most different because Sam's at the beach and Ben is riding the subway. Like, the, that's just what we're doing at that moment. And the, I, I don't know that it necessarily speaks to the core of the franchise in a major way. Although, um, you know, the, certain teams have enough continuity over the course of decades that you could argue that, uh, that it has become something more than a temporary thing. And certain teams have uh, even uh, philosophies, although the the longer they last, the kind of more generalistic and, and vacant, uh, vacant, vague, uh, I meant to say vague, but vacant is better. They become um, like, we like pitching and scouting, uh, that sort of thing. Um, but um, but the lack of, con- or the, uh, the continuity itself is a factor. Um, mm. The Twins, for instance, mm. you could say that they have a philosophy because they've had these same guys for 35 years. But more seems more interesting to me is the fact that they've had the same guys for 35 years. That continuity is such a big part of it. And so, like, I'm reading these uh, the BP annual essays right now, and um, the the ones uh, every once in a while the, there will be one, like the Reds one last year and the White Sox one this year really do kind of look at what the franchise has been over the course of many decades, like going back to the 70s or the 80s. Um, and I always like those. Um, but it's hard to write them for every team because there isn't necessarily a lot of continuity uh, over the course of, of decades. Mm-hmm. I mean, it is true. I think that maybe it would be... I'm going to avoid putting too much emphasis on 
the actions of the front office over the last few years. And I will say maybe like the Mets and the Indians will be mine. <laughs> really? On what grounds? Um, well, maybe not the Indians. I don't know. The uh, well, I mean, obviously they're they're in they're in maybe the two most extreme markets. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, and um, I was going to say the Mets have just been well. The the Mets have been you know uh, sort of uh, punchlines, e- even when they even even weaving in periods of ex- extreme goodness, they've always been kind of a little bit of a joke. Like even when they were good, like Vince Coleman was throwing bottle rockets at toddlers, and um, and you know they've had it seems like they're they have a permanently dissatisfied fan base uh, with uh, expectations uh, of both greatness and embarrassment. Um, and I don't, I was going to say, that, and the Indians, I think of the Indians mostly from like 90, uh, you know, the early 90s on when they had this great run of being, you know, a, a super classy, classy, a super classy <laughs> organization, uh, very cutting edge, very successful, uh, very um, Midwestern. Uh, although they're not Midwestern, um, and even since then, you don't get the sort of gnashing of teeth that um, you sort of get from some other fan bases. Um, they just seem to be, you know, fairly quiet. Like they're quietly trying to win, and then they're they quietly struggle, and then they quietly try to win again. They're just sort of in the background of Major League Baseball, and. As a background team, they nonetheless put together some fine runs and some successful teams. The problem, though, is that, of course, the Indians were the team in Major League. And so <laughs> they were actually that punchline for a you know decade um, before that. So maybe it's not the Indians, but maybe it is. It's hard to beat Padres-Yankees. It is hard to beat Padres-Yankees. It's tough when a listener asks us a good question and gives us the best answer in the question, and then we have to try to top it. I'm still sticking with Phillies and Astros. Astros traded Hunter Pence in 2011. Phillies traded for Hunter Pence in 2011. And Michael Bourne. Michael Bourne. Yeah, could come up with so many. Okay. Uh, Let's see. Would you care to do play index now? I'm kind of distracted by the previous question. (laughs) Okay. To be honest. No, sure, I will. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, so this one, I, uh, I'm, I, I'm going to make you guess something. Oh, no. Uh, but it won't take long. <laughs> uh, so I, I wanted to know who had the most surprising, I, surprising maybe not quite the word, or most out of character. Who had the most out of character seasons this year in Major League Baseball? So what I did is I went to Play Index, and I, um, I filtered for... 2014 uh, hitters with like 250 more or more plate appearances and pitchers with like 75 or more innings, mostly as starters. Um, and I put them in a spreadsheet. And then I went to all active players who had 1,500 career plate appearances or more, I think, and like 300 innings or more, and put those in two different spreadsheets. And then I uh, used VLOOKUP to put all that data into one nice little column so I could see there each player's ERA plus last year or his OPS plus last year and his career ERA plus or his career OPS plus and then I created the ERA plus plus or <laughs> the OPS plus plus which <laughs> is your OPS plus except instead of being uh, scaled to the league average it is scaled to your average. So mm-hmm. whatever you are is 100. That is your average OPS because uh, you are you. You mm-hmm. are a unique snowflake with your particular OPS plus. And so then I looked at 2014 to see who had the best OPS plus plus relative to that OPS. So what I have here is I have, I mean, you know, I have them all, but I, I have a list of the, the 10 most overachieving pitchers, the 10 most underachieving pitchers, the 10 most overachieving hitters, the 10 most underachieving hitters. And I just want you to pick one of those to guess, and I'm going to see how many you can name in the top 10 
without naming a person who's not in the top ten. <laughs> All right. Okay. So I'll start with hitters. Uh, you well, you don't. I you could start with, and you could do them all if you want. Oh, I can do just, all. One you can just pick, yeah, you can just pick one. It doesn't matter to me. Okay. Michael Brantley. What are you going? Where are you here? You're going on good hitters. Yeah. You're doing good hitters. All right. Yeah. Michael Brantley uh, is a is a good answer. Michael Brantley had the uh, sixth highest OPS plus plus last right. year at one thirty six. He had a mm-hmm. one thirty six OPS plus plus. Okay. What did you say the minimum plate appearances was for this uh, season? Two fifty. Okay. So I can include. Justin Turner? You can, number two. You're looking at something. <laughs> That's fine, though. I don't uh, mind. Uh-huh. I don't, you haven't looked at that. You haven't done the Not the giving away anything? Search no. With, no, yeah, you can, you can do this. Justin mm-hmm. Turner is a good answer. All right, so you are two for two. All right. Play along at home, by the way. This is why I did this, because I thought people would be able to think of the names in their head and see if they were right. Steve Pierce? Number one. Well. Best OPS++ in baseball this year. At 147. Okay. Devin Messeracco. Number three. Ooh. All right. <laughs> yeah. All these names are coming off the board. Um, okay. And what did you say the minimum was for previous years? Do you I remember? Think, I think it was 1,500. Uh, okay. uh, but, uh, well, no, I have a 1,487 here. So it might be 1,200. Yeah, I have a 1,200. Here, so it's probably twelve hundred. So no, JD Martinez then. That's too uh, too low, probably. I don't know what I said it at because JD Martinez is here. No, oh, he's there. Okay, well. we can we can count JD Martinez <laughs> or we can count him. I would I would say him if he meets the plate appearances minimum. So he does. He okay, doesn't. all right. But don't say Jose Abreu, especially because that would be <laughs> his won't. his OPS plus plus was a hundred. Yeah. Right. Um. Okay. And wh- all right. So. ERA plus, uh, how about, I'm looking for overachievers again here, Jake Arrieta. Wait, you're switching spreadsheets on me. <laughs> Sorry. I, you were supposed to go until you miss one. Okay, so oh. you're, you're going. You're, you you're said doing, I could just Oh, do... I see. You're doing the four board thing. You're playing four boards <laughs> yes, at once. Exactly. That's a better strategy. Yeah. Jake Arrieta, number two, with a 166 ERA plus plus. Uh-huh. Um, okay. In fact, uh, I'm going to, uh, how many innings did I tell you? I, you said, I, th- I think 75 this season, but I don't know what you said for previous seasons. I said, yeah, I said career. I think I said 250. And, uh, uh so in fact, Jake Arrieta was number one. Uh, hmm. at, uh, I, I made a note that Michael Pineda was number one. If I lowered it to 245 innings, which uh-huh. I only made a note because I thought, I was trying to decide whether I even needed to make a minimum for career innings. Like, I definitely needed one for this season's innings. But for career innings, this, the lower you get, the more this season's OPS Plus is going to uh, weigh mm. the rest. And so the smaller the career, the, the less likely it would be to, to be off, off the thing. And so, so it was amazing to me that Michael Pineda was number one despite only having, like, 240 career innings. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was number one by like quite a bit at 172, the the highest for hitters or pitchers. Mm-hmm. So anyway, he's off the board. Okay, all right. So and you can do the bottom too. The bottom is very good. Uh, okay. So other pitchers. So let's see. If it was 250 minimum prior to this year, then Dallas Keuchel does not qualify. Garrett Richards does not quite qualify. Very close, but not quite. Um, all right. Well, if I can do overachievers, all right, I'll try Clay Buckholtz. Uh, Clay... Switching spreadsheets again here. <laughs> Clay Buckholtz is the second lowest ERA++ at 66. All right. Um, so what do I have now? <laughs> like six? Seven. I think you're Seven? at... Uh, no, I think you are at six, yeah. And I'm trying to get to 10 before I get eliminated. You're at 7. But that's... I was trying to see... I didn't explain what I wanted you to do. I just want to see how far you can go now. See if you can go all the way. 40 for 40. (laughs) All right. I wonder if this guy meets the minimum. Josh Harrison would not qualify. 
All right. How about Seth Smith? Uh, Seth Smith. Uh, no. Oh. <laughs> you have blown it. Although Josh Harrison would have blown it too if he had qualified and you had said him. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right. Do you want to uh, go for uh, one low on the uh, on the hitters? Okay. Uh, Stephen Drew. Uh, yeah, he's on there. I was really just trying to make you say Jose Molina. I just <laughs> really wanted to 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 put that knife right in you. Yeah. Well, uh, so Jose Molina was the lowest at thirty four, <laughs> which is impressive because he was already been quite a bad. bad hitter for quite a while now. Yeah, he started at sixty four. He might be the lowest guy on this list starting point actually, <laughs> and uh, and they had the worst OPS plus plus. Um, so he's the lowest. Mark Ellis, John Baker, Raul Abanez, Paul Canerco, Nate Sherholtz, Alan Craig, Ryan Rayburn, Alfonso Soriano. Those are your bad guys. Uh, the good ones that you didn't say, Juan Uribe, Michael Saunders, Troy Tulowitzki, which is pretty impressive, mm-hmm. Carlos Gomez, and Victor Martinez. Mm-hmm. And uh, the pitchers, uh, and I think these guys all make the career, but I might be wrong anyway. Danny Duffy, Corey Kluber, Edinson Volquez, Henderson Alvarez, Doug Fister, Felix, Kershaw, Cueto, Lester, and maybe Lance Lynn. And then on the bad side, Edwin Jackson, Cahill, Masterson, Lincecum, Kane, Verlander, Ubaldo, Bedard, and Bartolo Colon. Mm-hmm. So there you go. Those are your over and under achievers. And uh, a couple of them were, were old, like Canerco's and Ibanez, they're old. And uh, I thought about eliminating guys at the extreme ends of their career because it doesn't really seem to fit the spirit. I mean, Canerco didn't underperform. Canerco overperformed by making it this long. Uh, but uh, there were so few of them, in fact, that I just went ahead with it. Mm-hmm. All right. Fun exercise. You can create your own fun exercises by subscribing to the Play Index using the coupon code BP to get the discounted price of $30 on a one-year subscription. We will continue with a couple more here. This question is from Vinit in Boston, who says, Have you noticed a recent trend of teams acquiring players for positions at which they are already strong or at least competent? And he gives us some examples. The Cubs acquire Addison Russell when they have a dozen shortstop prospects. The A's get Billy Butler when they had a good rotating DH strategy. The White Sox get Adam LaRoche when they had Abreu. And the Red Sox get Pablo Sandoval and Hanley Ramirez, who'd both play third in 2015 if they were on different teams. Thoughts? Have you noticed this trend? Now that Vinit has brought it up, do you think it is a trend? Um, hmm. I hadn't noticed it particularly. Mm-hmm. And uh, it takes three to make a trend, and he named four. Yeah. Uh, so I noticed it when these moves were made that like each like individual the, yeah like the cubs getting russell where they're going to put all their infielders they have all these guys who can play shortstop that was something that people talked about of course but i didn't connect the dots between these moves i don't know whether we should connect dots but but maybe i i mean i don't know okay. there there seems to be more of an eff- emphasis on depth and but but that usually goes hand in hand with positional flexibility which is not necessarily, it's not really the case with, with Butler or with like LaRoche and Abreu. That's just kind of a first base DH situation. Um, with Russell, I, I guess you could say it's about moving Baez to second and getting that positional flexibility and then being able to trade Castro or do something else with Castro. I don't know. It's, it's maybe it's just position player depth. Teams betting on position players, stockpiling position players. I don't know. Maybe it's well, nothing. If if you buy that fewer guys are getting to free agency and thus it's harder to sign free agents and they're more expensive because they're scarcer, uh, then um, it would make a certain amount of sense in two ways. One is uh, it's harder to add good players, so you just get the good ones when they're available. You just are happy to take them and you'll figure it out later. Uh, but two is if the free agent market is becoming uh, a kind of um, if if there's inflation in the free free agent market, then you would expect that the trade market would also get loosened up a bit, and therefore there would be a certain amount of inflation in the trade market. It'd basically be like when house prices go up, 
and then apartment prices go up too because um, they're not totally independent of each other. And um, as one person gets priced out of the one market, they go down to the other one, and then that one gets crowded. So uh, maybe there, maybe there's just teams figuring it's actually pretty easy to trade players for good value these days. I don't know. It's just a hypothesis. The 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 original premise of the hypothesis is perhaps even questionable, but that's the first thing I thought of. Mm-hmm. Okay, and. Uh, Vinit also wants to know that if you had Jason Hayward and Alex Gordon in your outfield corners, who is the worst defensive player you could put in center field to still have an average outfield defense? Or would you even put someone in center field or go with two outfielders a la Sam Miller's idea? Well, if I were going to do that, I wouldn't do it with Hayward and Gordon. Because, you know, I'd re- I mean, Dyson and Kane <laughs> would be would be much better than, than Hayward and Gordon, don't you think? Um, if you were going with two men, you yeah. wouldn't go with two guys who were in corners. I don't care how right. good they are in the corners. They are not the two best outfielders in baseball. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, uh, so for starters, I would have a center fielder. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what's the word? I don't know. I, I guess I believe that... If you have like a plus 20 guy in left and 20. right. Yeah, so the question really is, if you have a plus 20 guy in left and a plus 20 guy in right, then does a minus 40 guy give you an average center field, an average right. outfield, or is there enough overlap between positions? And there is a lot of overlap. If you look at how many balls a center fielder and a left fielder and a right fielder could catch, I mean, there's balls that a left fielder and a center, I'm sorry, there's balls probably that a left fielder and a right fielder could both catch. So there is certainly overlap out there. So the question is, does a minus 40 center fielder get you to average, or is it conceivable that, in fact, a true talent minus 60 center fielder could get you there because the corner guys could cover for so much of what he does, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and if so we're talking would, about a minus 60 center fielder, that that means you could probably put, what, any corner guy out there would be a minus 60 center fielder, do you think? Just like a even a, would a below yeah, average uh, corner guy? I mean, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I well, yeah. I'm trying to. I keep getting hung up on Adam Dunn. <laughs> well, yeah. Well, he was barely a barely a corner guy, but I don't think there's an outfielder in baseball. If you believe that Hayward and Gordon are both plus twenty, which mm-hmm. is, you know, not necessarily uh, a completely proven fact. So, but if you believe that they were both plus 20 corner outfielders, I believe you could put any other outfielder in baseball in center field. Of course, why would you? Why wouldn't you just move Hayward to center and then put that guy in right? Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. Do you well, think Hayward would be... You want to get an answer to this question, obviously. Do you think Hayward... What would? What, I want to know, because this came up recently when I was talking to somebody about Hayward. Mm-hmm. Uh, I want to know what you think Hayward would be in center and what you think Gordon would be in center. Mm. Yeah, Drew Fairservice wrote about wrote about Hayward in center recently because it's it's kind of curious that he doesn't play center. He has played some center in the past. He he's bigger and taller than center fielders generally are, but it's kind of hard to see how that hampers him in any way. I mean, he's still fast, he's still rangy. So it seems like he has the skills for the position, and he's played there before without it being a disaster. So I think I think he'd probably be fine out there. I, I mean, I don't know. There there has to be some reason why he hasn't played center, and maybe it's just that, that the Braves have happened to have good center fielders, that, that they've happened to have guys like Upton, who maybe is a little bit better than he is or is perceived to be better than he is. So I don't think there's anything about his skill set that suggests that he couldn't do it. So I would, I'd probably take Gordon, or I'd, I'd take Hayward over Gordon just because Hayward is quite a bit younger and has played some center and it wasn't awful. So that alone is probably enough for me to pick him over Gordon. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm going to go with the Mets and the A's. All right. Why? A lot of the same things about the Indians, but without quite the um without quite the uh the 80s and 70s and rivers being on fire kind of thing although the um 
the A's are not anonymous in a way that the Indians are anonymous. So maybe I don't like the A's, actually. <laughs> the A's have always been loud from the 70s on. The A's, in fact, the A's of the 70s and the Mets of the 80s have a lot of similarities. So maybe it doesn't work. What about just Rockies and Padres? What about the most extreme offensive environments? Is that enough? No, that's like saying that you and me are different because our parents are different. But you and me are similar. It is a, it is a fact that you and I are similar. It's, the circumstances around us don't dictate who we are. Mm-hmm. Ballpark's a big part of a team's identity. It influences how you build the team. And... It is a part. Yeah. It's not enough of a part. If, if the Mets played in Coors Field and the A's played in Petco, it would strengthen the argument. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, all right. We're almost done here. I can't. We've got so many questions from Matt's. I think I've got questions from at least four different Matt's in it's, my yeah. file here. We're at 55 minutes. Yeah. All right. So we'll just end with a Thanksgiving-themed question from Eric Hartman, who says, which MLB player is most like a Thanksgiving travel day? An arduous, <laughs> awful experience with presuming you like your family and friends, a great payoff. Is the answer all prospects? I'm going to say the answer is just a an interminably paced pitcher who is a good pitcher. I don't know who the the best answer. I guess David Price was the slowest pitcher in the major leagues last year in terms of time between pitches and yet also one of the best pitchers in baseball. So I wouldn't say that watching Price is arduous and awful, though. I mean, he's slow. The slowness is annoying, but it's it's still fun to see his stuff, which is fun in itself. So maybe it would be more like Joel Peralta is agonizingly slow. But maybe he's not a good enough payoff. Yeah, I was going to say, J.P. Howell is the hardest thing for me to watch in baseball, but the, the payoff isn't, isn't there. I would say uh, present-day Fernando Rodney, all-time Juan Gonzalez. <laughs> okay. All right. Pretty good. So we hope that you all have good travel days and get wherever you're going safely and have a nice break even without a new episode of Serial, and even more devastatingly, a Friday episode of Effectively Wild. We will be back next week with more shows. If anything exciting happens in the meantime, you can talk about it with fellow Effectively Wild listeners in the Facebook group at facebook.com groups slash Effectively Wild. We welcome your questions for next week. I've starred a few to talk about then that we didn't get to today, but please send us some more at podcast at baseballprospectus.com. And if you are thankful for this podcast and want to show your thanks, we would be happy if you left us some ratings and reviews on iTunes. Subscribe to the show on iTunes to help us convince other people that we're worth listening to. We are just a few ratings away from 500. So have a great end of the week and weekend. We will be back on Monday.